0: Alright, we now welcome on very special guest. He's a five-time New York Sports Emmy Award winner, longtime announcer for the Brooklyn Nets and CBS Sports, and the best play-by-play man in the game today. You'll probably recognize him by his voice, Mr. Ian Eagle. Hi, and How are we doing today? Hey, hey, what's up, guys?
1: How are we doing? Look, so Ian, you know, you've called a lot of big games over the years, you know, from the NBA Finals to the National Championship game, but it's got to be nerve-wracking coming on the Benny and the Jet podcast. How did you prepare for this interview today?
2: A lot of meditation, uh,
1: deep <laughs> yoga, therapy sessions. Uh, I don't even have a
0: psychiatrist, but I got one. Wow. For this, for this visit. I just wanted to be fully prepared. I know you can take it at all different angles, but I feel like I'm ready to go. Namaste. And namaste. I mean, it's, Beautiful. it's a pretty well, big deal well coming said. on the pod. So, well uh, probably the biggest event you've ever done. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Let's do it. <laughs> all right so I mean let's just get right into it so I kind of talked a little bit about in the intro that people recognize you probably by your voice does that happen a lot of times like on the street where people will just recognize you by your voice maybe not like recognize your face but then they'll hear you talk and they'll be like oh crap like I know this guy yeah I I get get that occasionally I get the oh crap I know
2: this guy occasionally at like pizza places or fast-food restaurants uh, Carvel. I do remember a very vivid memory. My my son was fairly young at the time, and the kid that was serving the ice cream. I got a small chocolate, uh, kids chocolate, and he said, "Man, you you look like Iron Eagle. Do you get that a lot?" <laughs> I said,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I said I get that a lot?
2: He's like, "Yeah, man." So I pay. I give him a big fat tip, and as I'm walking out, I said, "Actually, I I am Iron Eagle." Like, oh, okay. I said, what? That's and awesome. I had to show him my license, and even then he was not convinced. <laughs> so, yeah, sometimes it can be humbling uh, as well.
1: Good day for that guy, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, that that guy's now uh, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He's
1: doing very well. So now, getting more into the job-based questions. You know, how hard is it to mesh with a new guy in the booth? Like, is it easy for you going like person to person, or you know, does it take take some time to get used to the way you both announce a game? You know, I started doing the play-by-play
2: stuff in 1994, and that was for Nets Radio. I moved to TV the next year, and I started working with Bill Raftery that year. And Bill and I sat down to have lunch in Milwaukee, if I remember it correctly, and I asked him, how many different partners have you worked with? And he tried to go through it in his head, and he realized he couldn't name all of them. So he jotted them down on a napkin, he still couldn't remember all of them. and at that point, He mentioned it and I thought the same thing. I'm gonna just keep track of every person I work with for the rest of my career. It'll just be interesting to look back on. So it's now up to 135 different partners from that moment to where we are today in 2019. And something that I really pride myself on is being malleable and being able to mesh with different people, even though your partner from sport to sport, from TV to radio, might bring different perspectives. There's always going to be common ground.
1: And the reality is uh, they want to feel like they're part of a team. They want to feel as if it's a conversation because ultimately that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be anything
2: deeper than that. Uh, As a viewer or as a listener, you want to feel like you're part of it. And usually the ones that are successful are the ones that can create some chemistry and you feel as if not that you're just eavesdropping on what they're talking about, but that you feel engaged in what they're talking about. And if you were sitting next to them in the room watching the game with them, that this would be interesting byplay. That's how I always view it. So uh, based on circumstances, of course, uh, sometimes you get to meet your partner beforehand, and you have a dinner, or you have a lunch, or you have a meeting, and other times you're just thrown into it. Uh, I got a call from the NBA a number of years ago uh, to jump in last minute over All-Star Weekend, and I ended up calling what was then the D-League All-Star Game with Nancy Lieberman, who is a legendary player and now coaching in the Big Three and has coached at
1: all different levels, Mm.
2: and I'd never met her.
1: Uh, We shook
2: hands, we chatted for about 10 minutes, and within a half hour of meeting, we were on the air doing the game together. And we hit the first break, and she turned to me and said, man, it feels like we've been working together for 20 years.
1: That's the goal. (laughs) The the whole point is to find that common ground. And it's something that I take
2: really seriously in the job. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, is there anyone that you've started announcing a game with, and you're just like, holy shit, this guy is doing things completely different than I thought. Like, I've never seen someone announce a game like this. Like, this guy's crazy.
2: Yeah, I've definitely had experiences where it wasn't exactly the, the way that I was used to or accustomed to. But I don't mind that. I, I do embrace it. I embrace things that might be a little bit different or unique. And I really do uh, find motivation in trying to still make that work and, and find some form of common ground so that the broadcast can be good. Ultimately, I really think you're judged whether it's conscious or subconscious, you're judged by the audience as a pair or as a team. Yes, of course, you might say, well, I really like that person, but I don't like that person over the course of a broadcast. But more often than not, people will judge it based on how you sound together. So it's in your best interest as a play-by-play announcer to make sure that the broadcast is sounding as good as it possibly can. If you take your ego out of it, which is a big part of this, if you see it through the prism of, all right, is this enjoyable for the viewer or listener? Not just, is it okay for me? It's, yeah. being, it's being open to the fact that uh, not everyone is going to do things exactly how you do them. It's your job to, to get it back on track and create some stimulating conversation. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, there have, been, there have been partners I've worked with that have done it in a in a unorthodox manner,
1: and I've still found something positive to build on off it. It's all, yeah, about, it's all about the middle ground.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what makes you so good is that you can adapt to different people's characteristics and, and still create such a great broadcast. And, I mean, having to do it with different sports and you know 130 different people is definitely unique and pretty awesome. Yeah, and I think, guys, the fact of the matter is you
2: still have to respect where someone came from. Usually the broadcast partners I'm working with were professional athletes or collegiate athletes or uh, coached. So they have unique insight. It's your job to unearth it and to uncork it and to make them comfortable. Not everybody's going to have a great sense of humor. Not everybody's going to be fantastic at X's and O's. Not everybody's going to handle questions on the fly perfectly. You, as a play-by-play announcer, and maybe in a way uh, a traffic cop, have to figure out what buttons can you push to get the most out of that person. And some, by the way, are very scared to being in that seat. I've been with former professional athletes that are trying broadcasting for the first time, and they're trying not to shit themselves, basically, (laughs) at that point. They, They don't want to be embarrassed. So the goal is to make them feel comfortable and confident to do the job. And that's part of the job description. Whether or not you know that, signing up for it as a play-by-play announcer, you're setting the tone of the broadcast. And there are times where you pull back, you let the analyst dominate a little bit more, and that's okay. Uh, Setting the tone doesn't mean counting how many words you get compared to how many words your partner gets. It's what works for that telecast or that radio broadcast that day and by the way the next day is a different broadcast and people are judging you on that one so you can't just rest your laurels on what you did the night before or two weeks earlier or five years ago you're getting judged every time you go on the air, and you have to remind yourself of that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely what makes you unique, too. And another thing that makes you unique, you talked about it, like the different sports. Is there one sporting event that you like to call the most, whether it's football or basketball? Is there one that's the easiest for you or the most adaptable for you? No, I'd say basketball is the one that I could probably jump in and out of and kick it right back up because of the amount of games that I've done, because of the amount of years that I've logged. and Football, I've been doing for 23 years, so it's still ingrained in in my veins. But you only get to
2: do 17, 18, 19 of these games a year. With radio, I end up doing 30 or 31. Uh, Sometimes there have been some years where I've done as many as 33 or 34 games. But it still doesn't compare to one year of basketball where uh, at its height, I was doing over 80 games. And if you counted playoffs, I was doing another 10 games in the playoffs. If you counted college, I was doing another 15 games between the tournament and regular season. So I was up around 100 games or more per year. And it just became second nature. Football is a little more challenging. It's once a week. It's a larger production. You're not right up in the middle of the action, you're above it, so you're a little bit detached, and that requires a different skill to keep on top of things. Basketball, you usually sit courtside, there's 10 players on the floor at the same time, so your focus is uh, very much geared towards where the ball is, and uh, it, it doesn't require you to, to pay attention to st- seven other things happening like it might be on the football field. I enjoy both a lot. And I've enjoyed going other sports, whether it be tennis or track and field. Um, I've done golf as well, I've done volleyball. I've done a bunch of different sports and I'd look at every assignment as a new challenge. Boxing was something I had never done. I got thrown into it and actually enjoyed it a lot. The one thing that struck me, I didn't understand. I went out uh, to do the broadcast. The first broadcast was in Vegas. And I sit down, I got water and a cup ready to go just in case my throat gets a little dry. And I notice that everybody around the ring, from a media standpoint, has some kind of cardboard covering their water. It's like a weird boxing thing. Nobody told me about this. I didn't get the memo. And within the first
0: 15 seconds of the opening round, when bodily fluids started flying through <laughs> my shirt and my drink, I realized, oh, that's why they covered it. There's, there's <laughs> the cardboard. This is barbaric, yes. It's blood and
2: mucus and a lot flying at you, and there's nothing you can do about it.
1: So that was a little bit of an eye opener. What else could you ask for, you know? Some blood and mucus. <laughs> yeah, right in the first round of your first <laughs> one. <month. laughs> so is there one game in your entire career or multiple, it doesn't have to be just one, that you remember. Like I mean, you probably remember a bunch of them, but like that one special game, do you have one of those? Yeah, and I have a bunch. You know, they're, they're ones that stand out on a personal level just based on
2: who I was working with and what the circumstances were. Uh, when the Nets in the 0 one season shocked everybody and grabbed the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, went into the playoffs, the Jason Kidd and played the Indiana Pacers in the first round in the 1-8 matchup, the game, which was the deciding game, it was a game five. That was the last year they did best three out of five in the opening round. There was so much riding on the game. I was working with Bill Raftery. He had been doing it for 20 years at that point. And the franchise needed this in the worst way for credibility, for validation. Even from a broadcast standpoint, I felt like, we needed to see them win and advance, and uh, that one meant a lot. Uh, they ended up winning the game in double overtime. Reggie Miller had a half-court shot at the end of regulation to tie the game. Then had a big dunk in overtime to tie the game. It goes to double OT, and Jason Kidd just took over. Mm. And it was just a sense of pride and a sense of jubilation that this franchise had had gotten over this this barrier, this hump that they were unable to get over in previous incarnations. So that one meant a lot from a personal standpoint. Yeah. You know, I had the good fortune of working a bunch of NBA finals, uh, Michael Jordan against the Utah Jazz in Salt Lake City, the quote-unquote push-off of Brian Russell where he hit the shot that secured the championship. Mm-hmm. And that was about as loud as an arena as I've ever been in, and then it was as quiet an arena as I've ever been in because of the shock that the, the Jazz fans were experiencing. Oh, Utah. I thought they were gonna win Utah. <laughs> yeah. Stopped in them alone. Uh, so those games stand out. I've had a bunch of football games uh, that have come down to the wire, that i have had fantastic finishes and memorable moments this past year, this miracle in Miami where the Dolphins on
1: the lateral play beat the New England Patriots when Gronkowski was on the field as a safety. I was packing my stuff away. Literally, I was putting stuff in my bag. <laughs> Because I had a tight flight to get out of there from Fort Lauderdale. Jed actually repeats your call. I've seen this a hundred times. And yeah, that was like a genuine
2: reaction to the moment because I was as shocked as everybody else. I think that's part of how you approach this job. Look, I really believe you have to be real and there has to be genuine joy and passion in what you do. People will sniff it out if it's not real, if it's contrived, if you're making it up and yes of course you have to be professional and you have to choose the right words in the moment you have to show the right emotion you have to convey the excitement all of those things but ultimately i think a little piece of you has to come through and that's what people seem to respond to more than anything else it's not just screaming your head off and yelling (laughs) it's doing it in a way that that fans can relate to in some form and there's so many games on now, there's so many broadcasts, and I'm not saying you have to go out of your way to stand out, what I'm saying is you have to do what you do best in the moment when it calls for it, and that's how you have to attack the job, and that moment can happen at any time, that's the the mystery of this job that makes it so thrilling, I did not anticipate that, I did not expect it, I've been in those situations countless times where the ball just lands on the ground and the game is over and mm-hmm. nothing happens. You've got to be ready if it does happen because that moment can pass you by
0: and then for the rest of your career as an announcer, you look back on it and say, I didn't do everything that I could do to make that a, an exciting moment to complement what was happening on the field from a broadcast standpoint. Yeah, I mean, if you never would have guessed that Kenyon Drake would have taken that lateral and beat Gronkowski yeah. with the angle there. And I'll I'll always remember those those calls, and I think it it's what makes the best so special is like the same way I think about because I'm a Viking fan, so I'll always remember like every time I listen to the Minneapolis Miracle call, I get goosebumps, and I like will smile thinking about it every every day just because like I every night was, before you go every to bed. night before I go to bed, I actually laugh about <laughs> it. But yeah, I just think it's it's what makes the best announcers so special is the ability to take. The moments where you're speechless and give the audience words, and I think that's exactly what you've been doing, and um, what makes you so special. Yeah, thanks, guys. And to not get in the way. By by the way, that's the other part
2: of it. Don't become a distraction. Don't try to overwhelm the moment with your agenda. Blend with the pictures and if indeed the moment is worthy of that kind of indelible memory, as you discussed with with the Vikings and Joe Buck was, was all over it. He was on top of it and reacted appropriately and did not deter from the moment. You remember the play and you remember the call in concert because it worked. If you try to do too much in that moment, you try to wait for the exact perfect words that are going to match it. No, you've got to react quickly. You have seconds to form whatever word grouping you want to use and do it in a way that will complement the pictures. That's all you get. You don't get a second crack. There's no edit button. There's no going back and re-recording. It's a one-shot deal. So uh, if you know that going in and, and you're in that mindset, the hope is that you can... You can match the
0: level of excitement on the field, and that's ultimately the goal of this job. That's a perfect way to describe it. And you've been talking so much about football, and such a key component of the football play by play team is like obviously the pre-production meetings. And Phil Sims, he was talking about because he did super Bowl forty four. and in one of the meetings, that was the between the Colts and the Saints. And in one of the meetings, Sean Payton was talking about how they were going to try, to do an onside kick before the game. But then he act like Sean Payton actually performed the onside kick. So I was wondering, is there any one pre-production meeting that stands out to you where a coach or a player told you they were going to do something and then they actually did it in the game? Yeah, it's definitely happened. Uh, it doesn't happen that often. Some coaches
2: are cool with that. Other coaches are very protective and secretive and would never even think about going there. Jeff Fisher very much a proponent of talking things through in production meetings and telling you, hey, keep an eye open for this. We might do that. And there were a bunch of times that he did. He said he was going to do something, and he would do it. And there were other times where maybe the circumstances didn't line up, and he ultimately didn't do what he said he might do because uh, it just wasn't set up that way. out of Gates last year, he threw something out there in a production meeting, and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if he's really going to do it. And he did. Uh, he's, he's one of those guys. He, he looks you in the eye, and he's, he's got a little, uh, a little different look where you know that uh, he, he gets some kind of enjoyment out of the whole back and forth. Uh, I, I really like the guy. I just find him uh, to be all in and you know, a, little, a little bit uh, off center in, in how he views this, but in a good way. I'm curious how it's going to be with the Jets. I think he's going to do a good job. I think he's going to learn a lot from his first go-around with Miami. I find his personality should really blend well with Sam Darnold. And I look at it very similar to what happened in L.A. with Jared Goff and Sean McVay. Jared Goff was not in a great situation in his rookie year. Didn't get a lot of opportunities. What he did, couldn't really win a game. uh, Didn't find a rhythm. It was the end of the Jeff Fisher era. And then Sean McVay comes in and everything changes dramatically because of McVay's bedside manner, because of his ability as a quarterback whisperer. And I think Gase and and Sam Darnold can enjoy some similar success together in the creative play calling that Gase has and Darnold's openness to being coached and his desire to be great. You
0: have to have those attributes if you want to be special in this league, and I, I think Sam has those characteristics. And it's a matter of Gase now just trying to unlock them. Yeah, I definitely think even in the preseason, he he looks a lot more comfortable out there in year two. Like he, the ability to to make plays with his legs too is, is such an underrated aspect of Darnold's game. Keep and the play I, going. Yeah, and he does that really well, and I think I think he's definitely going to take. A step up this year so i'm i'm, I'm excited i'm not even jeff fan i'm excited for darnold well your name is jet so you kind of are a jeff fan yeah. You know? not um, really but all right <laughs>
1: so ian clearly the nets have been a big part of your life and you've been the nets announcer since um 1994 i believe and recently they had um ian eagle day to celebrate your 25, 25 years of covering the nets how was that yeah. having your own day which i love yeah. that, that was uh surreal in situations like that uh, you're either retiring or you're dead (laughs) so fortunately it was it was neither one literally half my life has been spent calling net games i'm 50 years old i've been doing
2: the job since the age of 25 so 25 years calling games for, for this organization you know when you get the job as a young guy that's not what's on your mind You're not thinking, oh, I'm going to do this for the next 25 years. All you're thinking is, hey, I just want to do a good job. This is a dream come true. Uh, I want to do right by the people that gave me this opportunity. It happened to be Eric Spolster's dad. John Spolster was the president of the Nets at the time. And he's the one that that trusted me to, to do a good job and to represent the team well in the position that I was named in. Eventually got the TV job one year later, so that changed my responsibilities. I got paired with Bill Raftery. That changed my life and my career. And to look back on it in that way last year, it was February, the Nets and the Portland Trailblazers at Barclays Center, it was crazy. It was hard to wrap my brain around that it's been that long, that that much time has passed. It felt like a lifetime ago And a lot has happened. I've had two kids. I've been married now for for over 25 years. I was recently married when I got the job. I was one year into marriage. So to think that 25 years went by and I've met so many people, close friends based on this job, and people that I would call family, uh, to me that's probably the, the most special part about it. A lot of great memories. And the fact that this team is on the rise just makes it all the more sweeter that people are now talking about this organization on a different level than ever before. It's legitimate, tangible buzz around this team. And that's saying something for a franchise that was in New Jersey that made the move to Brooklyn. A lot of people, including me at the time, didn't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, didn't understand big picture, what this would be all about,
1: it has really paid off. They've created a fan base. Uh, there's a new culture there, and they're pointed in the right direction. It's, it's been an amazing transformation. Yeah, I was about to ask. You've seen the team through the ups and the downs, and how pumped were you when you found out that Kyrie and KD were joining the Nets?
2: <sighs> yeah,
1: look, on a personal level,
2: when you're broadcasting games, my record is zero and zero. I have no wins. I have no losses. So you have to understand, part of the job is to be a professional and to do the job well. I've always looked at it the same way. No matter what team the Nets trot out there, it's my job to make the broadcasts informative and entertaining. Look, if we now strip it back a little bit and try to understand the the ins and outs of, of the job, If the team is good, it makes the job better. There's no getting around it. It doesn't change the way I do my job. I still prepare the same way. I still bring the same energy to the broadcast if the team won 20 games or if they won 60 games. But just being around the team, that changes dramatically. Last year chemistry on the team was off the charts Mm -hmm. i don't know if i've ever been around a group of guys that liked each other more and bought in and respected the coaching staff and just felt a kinship that you could sense from my position with the headset on it was real and it translated on the court now look there are a lot of changes you don't know how that will shift the dynamic behind the scenes. But from a talent standpoint, they have a chance to be really entertaining. I think Kyrie Irving is a man on a mission this year after what's happened the last two years. He knows what's being said. He understands what the optic is. He chose Brooklyn. Uh, The Nets were in a position to sign him, and they had created a strong enough team that he felt comfortable signing his name on the dotted line to join forces. The Kevin Durant signing that seemed unrealistic as recently as two years ago if you said oh yeah the nets are going to get kevin durant people would have laughed in your face but what's happened over the last year has changed the way the team was perceived and that's not easy to do it's really hard to convince players around the league star players agents and nba followers in general that your team is for real and you're doing things in the right manner that's what the nets did with sean marks with kenny atkinson the coaching staff with the rest of the front office it was a herculean task that marks took on and look he's not now on easy street sean will be the first to tell you now the the pressure goes up a notch you got to go out and win and kenny atkinson same deal he's got more horses uh, but they're both really good at their job, and they've put this franchise in a position to take a big step forward in terms of relevance around the NBA. Yeah. That's a hard step to make in this league. There are so many franchises that that have built-in history that automatically when you say their name, uh, there's a certain image that's conjured up. The Nets had an image problem prior they don't
0: have one right now, and now the only way to make it stick is to go out and win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, Katie and Kyrie definitely give give the Nets a, a really good chance to do that, uh, especially. And they also like not a lot of people are talking about DeAndre Jordan too, and they still have Joe Harris, who's you know, lights out from deep. So uh, I think they're going to be really, really, really entertaining this year, and for the years to come too. And uh, have you had any interaction with KD or, or Kyrie or DeAndre since you've signed? I mean, they, they obviously know who you are, and so I, I wonder if, if you've talked to them yet. No, no
2: interaction since they've signed. Kyrie, uh, I've gotten to know a little bit through the years. Yes, he actually grew up a Nets fan, so there is uh, a connection there with the organization. Uh, he watched the Yes Network when he was growing up in Jersey and was not a Nick guy. He was a Net guy. So his his whole soundtrack is that of the Yes Network and the Vince Carter Jason Kidd years. Uh, KD had a bunch of his games when he was in college at Texas, and got to talk to him back in those days. And I find him just to be an interesting figure. Uh, he's uh, he's not your typical superstar. I think there's a little more to him. There's certainly a sensitivity. Uh, that comes with it, and there's this chip on his shoulder consistently. He's a gifted player. Uh, He's a Hall of Fame player. And I think based on how things ended with Golden State and the injury and the disappointment in the finals, uh, he's going to come in, in many ways, uh, reignited. And I expect once he's healthy uh, to to see – the KD that we've seen, and maybe a different version based on uh, physically what he can do, but still the same dominant qualities that have made him a perennial all-star and, and an MVP in this league. Uh, the DeAndre Jordan signing—that's uh, a—that's a home run on a couple of levels. One, they needed his physical presence; they needed his rebounding; they needed his defensive presence, and two they needed his behind-the-scenes personality. He is a uniter and his playfulness will work well on this team, in this city, and I think a lot of it was also connected to making Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving comfortable. Uh, Both were very comfortable with the idea that DeAndre Jordan would be a part of this team, and that's part of building a culture, making sure that your stars feel good about the team around them, that it is a quote unquote team effort. It's not just management making decisions without input. Not saying that the, the stars run the show, but their voice should be heard. That's been a problem in some places over the years. Things might be changing a bit in the NBA now, where stars and their agents are making sure that their opinions are at the very least being listened to as opposed to uh, just shouting into shouting into the ether and hoping that, that someone hears them. Uh, there, there's a direct connection to stars that are happy and comfortable and confident
1: regarding uh, the teams that they're playing on and the teams that they've now surrounded those stars with. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so lastly, this is what we love to do in the podcast. Whenever we have an interview, we call it the gauntlet. So we're going to give you a couple, and this is unrelated to, you know, your job, sports. So this is, you might be shocked by some of these. You might not be expecting to hear these today, all right? (laughs) Okay. So answer them however you'd like. There's no wrong answers here. So number one, what's your go-to gas station snack? Go-to gas station snack, I have a
2: sweet tooth so I'm either
0: going Sour Patch Kids or Reese's. Reese's is definitely definitely a fan favorite. Uh, next one, if you could dominate one professional sport, what sport would you pick?
2: Dominate one professional sport, I would say tennis would be a cool sport to dominate. Travel the world, uh, rack up a lot of prize money, a lot <laughs> of flyer miles. And it's one of those sports you can play deeper into your 30s. Uh, I'd say as a kid, that was the sport I dreamed of dominating one day. I was a huge Bjorn Borg fan in the
1: 70s and 80s. That's that's what I would go with. Awesome. All right, go-to superpower. Go-to superpower...
0: If I could just transport myself somewhere, if that's a superpower, oh, that's a that's a million percent. That's a million percent of superpower. I mean, to me, that that's such a no brainer. If I just
2: need to get somewhere and it requires me to blink twice and I'm there, that's enough. I, I I don't know if I would need another superpower. I would take it from there. I'd be fine. As long as I could just get there and live my
1: life. So you're an anti-flying guy? Because I think flying is the, the most common answer here.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know.
1: I mean, you'll what, fly. You'll fly if you can fly, you what's know.
2: What's the upside of? Yeah, the idea that I could fly somewhere still would require time. I'm trying to be more efficient in life. So if I could cut That's out the right flight, there. yes, I could you know, lift my fist up and go in the air and fly seven hours to to L.A., yeah, that'd be better than waiting on TSA pre, and now <laughs> got the, an issue with maintenance, or the, the crew didn't get in from the previous flight, yes, of course, I'd like to bypass all that and just fly on my own, I'm saying I want to bypass even the flight
0: and just blink and get to the place I need to get to. That's an awesome answer, alright, last one here, what's your spirit animal, if you had to pick one? Oof, spirit animal. I mean, look, my last name is an eagle. There we and go. And I've had to obviously deal with this my whole life. <laughs> I, I deal with a lot of questions about my name. People think it's made up. It's fake. Like, really? Is, it, is that what you think I would go with if, if I had I a You know what? I'm, I'm Mike Wilson, but I'm, I'm sick and bored of that. So I'm going to just change it. Uh, I am eagle.
2: I'll just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I I have some kind of deep connection with the eagle because this is all I've known my whole life. Uh, I, I've been associated with it in some way. So ultimately, I, I don't think I could say any other answer would be almost wrong. How can you with a last name Eagle? Yeah, I've never met a guy named Bob Rhinoceros. I don't know.
1: What <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, know. you don't you don't know Bob Bob Rhinoceros? No, I know. well... <laughs>
2: I mean, you know, you know him as Bobby, but he's a Bob, rhinoceros. I assume his answer would be the rhinoceros. No, it's like that. It, it would be, it would be
0: wrong, completely wrong to say any other animal than eagle. Yeah, it's a perfect answer. All right, Ian, thank you so much for coming on. You gave us a, a ton of time, and thank you so much, man. Hi, Jeff. Ben, my pleasure, man. We'll do it down
1: the road. Have a great school year, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it. Best of luck this year. Hope the Nets and the Jets get it done. All right.
0: All right, thanks, guys. All right, take it easy. Thanks man. so much, John. All right, guys. I'll talk to
2: you. Sounds it's good. Fun.